good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Adrian. A very warm welcome to you. Isn't it wonderful to see uh, the intergenerations all worshipping and uh, enjoying this time? It's great to see so many faces that, because of COVID, haven't been able to come back because of the mask wearing. So today you're back, so it's lovely to see you. So it's just wonderful to see so many people. So if you're visiting, a warm welcome. We do have a potluck lunch. If you haven't brought anything, then you're not welcome. No, just kidding. If you haven't brought anything, um, you are more than welcome to join us uh, in the hall afterwards. Uh, we're just going to celebrate a bit of Christmas. Usually we have a big outdoor carols, uh, but this year we, we decided not to just for safety and things like that. So uh, please pray with me. We're going to continue in our series uh, I'm not going to speak for as long as I normally do, so there's a big sigh of relief from everyone. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, freedom in a manger. Uh, so let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful opportunity of singing your praises, uh, singing the praises of our Lord Jesus, that baby, uh, you in the flesh, uh, God, Emmanuel. Uh, and Father God, thank you that uh, you have demonstrated your own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Father God, as we open your word now and consider uh, just what Christmas can mean for us, we pray that you... Uh, bless this time together when we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I won't get you to raise your hands because that would be awkward for everyone. But I wonder how many of you have actually been convicted of a crime. <laughs> Don't raise your hands. Uh, been set before a judge and, uh, and have had a verdict or, or a sentence read out. Well, I can tell you I can raise my hand. Uh, it, it's okay, it was before I was a Christian. Uh, but I have been arrested. Yes, yes. You didn't do a very good uh, job uh, screening this pastor out, did you? Uh, I have been arrested. I have been stuck in a police cell, not in a cell, in a, in a room being interrogated um, to try to get more information out of me and whether there were other people involved in this crime. Uh, I have been in there for about three or four hours. I was then charged and I ended up in court before a judge knowing that I was guilty. Yes, I wonder what the crime was. Well, I was shoplifting. I was 16 years of age. I'm not proud of it. I'm not making fun of it. But I was 16 years of age and there was a group of us uh, and we went out into the shops and we just started taking stuff. And I tell you, we took more stuff and more stuff. It seemed so easy until we got to Grace Brothers, which is now Maya, and uh, we got seen and we got taken back into the back of the shop. They called the police. The police came and, uh, and then I was charged. I think the worst time was waiting for my father to come to the police station. Uh, but yeah, I was charged and I, a court date was set. Cobham Children's Court in Western Sydney. Something you didn't know about me, isn't it? Mm, not so nice now. Uh, lock down your handbag. So, uh, <laughs> but I tell you this because I, that, that moment of being arrested and then uh, having a court date set and knowing that you're guilty and knowing that the judge will know you're guilty and knowing you're going to stand before a judge who knows you're guilty and is going to cast a sentence on you is awful. In fact, it's the time leading up to that court date and waiting for that court date which was just excruciatingly painful. Now, I'll tell you now because you'll be wondering, but I was let off with a warning. All I had was a golf ball and a packet of leads that go in a pencil where my other mates had a lot more stuff. He warned me and he let me go, which was very gracious of him. 
But see, this morning we're going to continue in this idea of freedom in a manger. And I just want to talk about freedom from judgment. And the question we're going to ask this morning is how can we be truly free from judgment? You see, the Bible makes it clear that one day we will all face judgment. And it might seem like a, a strange thing to talk about at Christmas, but it's very, at the very heart of why Jesus came. The very final verse of Ecclesiastes says this, after 12 chapters of reflection of the meaning of life, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So the truth is there'll be a day, which we don't like to talk about, where everything will be brought before the judge. And, uh, and the question that we need to ask is, have we been truly set free from that judgment? Now, I love reading autobiographies, uh, but what's fascinating about autobiographies is the very life that it is talking about is the life that's leading it. So it recalls its own memory in order to write about themselves. And psychologists have had a field day with this idea because they've, uh, they've studied what's fascinating about uh, what happens when someone writes an autobiography, and apparently it's a really painful process. You see, everyone could write an autobiography, but psychologists says the right question is, should everyone write, write one? Simply because of the process you go, for, go through. It's a journey where you have to question your memories of your life. And they've found that most people who start writing an autobiography have this strange um, understanding and memory of their life. For example, I thought I was intelligent at school. Um, I actually went and uh, I, I found a box full of my old school reports. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually not that intelligent. I just have this ability to make it sound that way, although you might not think that. But the thing is, we have these memories that seem to uh, create this life, a narrative about our life. But when we do the research and ask, is there evidence for that? Often it's revealed that we've uh, created a life which wasn't necessarily true. And psychologists call it the cognitive dissonance theory. I looked that one up. It's a way of explaining choices to create an image of ourselves to reduce regret, uh, to, to make our life seem consistent and coherent and meaningful. I think that's why Facebook works. We only post the narrative that we want the world to see and we start believing that. And that's why autobiographies often miss out big chunks of the realities of people, people's lives. So we are trying to avoid the regret. We're trying to avoid people casting questions over our character. And when we're faced with the reality of a day of judgment, that's, uh, our lives uh, are often recreated to justify our choices. And so what we do when we think of a day of judgment is we go, well, it must be what I want it to be. We go, well, it's, a, it's like scales. So I've lived more good things than bad things. The problem is the Bible says that's not how the day of judgment's going to work. That's not the benchmark on whether you have lived a better life in these things than uh, your bad things. So you can, uh, you, can, you can start philosophizing it away. You can start talking about relativity. You can start talking about, well, yeah, perfection or truth or whatever is right in your eyes. But the Bible says there's one standard and there's one standard which we will be judged by. And that is the standard of God's perfection. So when we arrive at Judgment Day, God is not going to ask for your autobiography. 
He's not going to be like an employer that says, show me your Facebook page and I'll decide whether you've got the character that's right. He's going to know every hidden part of your life. And it's all going to be revealed and judged. See, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is the issue we've got. We have to face our creator one day. Not with the Facebook page or the autobiography, but with the reality of our hidden things as well as our other things. And so what it's saying here is that we all miss this benchmark. Sin is a missing of this benchmark, this standard, and we all fall short. But in Romans 3.24, it then says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. See, we're told despite falling short, we can be justified. Now, justified here is a legal term. If you think back to my court appearance, I'm standing before the judge and I'm tremoring. His, my life was literally in his hands. He could have sent me to, uh, to the juvenile justice centre if he wanted to. Now, he's decided that he will give me a caution and let me go. And he never wants to see me in his courtroom again. Now, that was enough for me never to shoplift and to be petrified of ever going to a courtroom again. But you see, that's not justification. That might be merciful. He might have even forgiven me, which I don't think that was the case. But, we, but see, justification is more than that. It's a declaration by the judge that we are accepted by him. It's a positive declaration upon your life. The judge on that day says there is a way which you can stand before the judge and he will accept you, not just forgive you, not just let you go, but bring you in. Marcus Lone says the voice that spells forgiveness will say you may go, you have been let off the penalty which your sin deserves. But the verdict which means acceptance that is justification, will say, you can come. You are welcome to all my love and all my presence. See, it's a positive verdict on our life where we don't have to fear the judgment because we have been justified, we've been accepted. So how can you be justified? How can you be accepted? How can you truly be set free from judgment? Well, the text here says, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, it's Jesus, and that's why I'm talking about this today. We heard from a kid's talk that Christmas is about Jesus. And what is Jesus about? Well, Jesus is a person. He's the Son of God. He was born into humanity. And he did that because of his great love for us. And he went not just as a baby in a manger and stayed there, but he grew up to be a man who lived God's perfect law, who met the standard, the only one, and did not deserve the wages of that, which was death. But he went to the cross willingly, resolutely. Why? Because of his great love for you and for me. And what we are told is because he did that, because he died on the cross when we put our faith in him, we are justified. That means that his perfect life is transferred to us. So when we stand before God on that judgment day, God sees Jesus' perfect life. And when he goes to cast judgment on us, 
He says, well, you must be punished. No, because it's already been paid for. The cost has been paid. The perfect life has been lived. It's all been given to you when you put your faith in Jesus. And so when we stand on that judgment day, God doesn't just say, I forgive you. He doesn't just say, okay, I'll let you go. He says, you are now my child. I accept you wholeheartedly just as I accept Jesus as perfect, as righteous, because I am your father and you are grafted and adopted into my family because of your faith in Jesus. See, and that's how we can truly be free from judgment. And that's great news. And that's why Christmas is about Jesus. And that is why when we sing songs, it mentions sin, but it mentions rejoicing. We're about to sing another song, O Holy Night. And this is why we sing, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Saviour's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, longing for someone to come and save them. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, oh night divine, oh night when Christ was born, oh night divine, oh night divine.